0: I don't know what's a good name
1: no normally people pick yeah I was thinking Kevin
0: that's what my uh work wife calls me so really yeah when she's mad at me or she can't for a while she couldn't just couldn't remember my name so it's like so she just shout whatever
1: (laughs) she just shouts at you yep and welcome to Hello City, a light-hearted educational podcast about the built environment. I'm your host, Lisa Dunaway, AICP, lead AP. And before I get started with this episode and our very awesome guest, I wanted to have not really a corrections corner, but an addendum, to use a nice planning word, to last week's episode. I try to keep my tangents as minimal as possible in order to make each episode around an hour or less, but after I listened to the episode about Japanese zoning and thought about it over several days, I feel like I implied that the Japanese have never clear-cutted their forests, and that's not the case, just because they have the reverence for the natural environment doesn't mean that they haven't utilized their forests in a time of need. During World War II, they did cut down their forests significantly in order to provide timber for the war effort. And very quickly, they replanted those forests. However, it did come with some controversy because now people are pointing out that they really only planted about two species of trees, both of which are conifers, to replace what was largely broadleafed forests before. I don't want to get into the weeds too much about it, pun intended, because that's not the point of this episode, but I just wanted to make it clear that I realized that the Japanese have done logging and they do continue to. It's just at a very significantly reduced rate, and there's actually people who are calling for them to do more logging and to replace the conifers with more broadleaf trees. There are some good videos about it on YouTube, particularly a TED Talk, and actually a YouTuber that I like very much called Life Where I'm From recently did an episode about it as well. So if you're interested in that, there are other resources that I recommend so I don't have to get into it here. And with that, let's get into the episode. Welcome, Kevin, to the podcast. I appreciate you joining me today.
0: My pleasure to be here, Lisa.
1: So you have a great story for us that I never get tired of hearing from you. So I asked you before anyone else ever if you would be a guest on the podcast because I had this story in mind that I wanted you to be able to tell. So before we get started, is there anything about planning that the listeners need to know to make the story make more sense?
0: Sure. Um, so the, the first piece of context is that I work in a rural community. Um, you know, I, I work for the county body of government, which is actually um, the largest body of government that has the most residents that live within it. Um, the other key piece of information is um, the definition of a variant. So um, when you have a set of rules, it's very hard to write rules that cover every situation that you're expecting. Um, and so there have to be relief valves. One of those relief valves is a variance, um, where you ask for permission to vary from what the, the requirements are. And in in our state, you have two types the development standards, one, which relieves you from, say, a setback or a use variance, which allows a different use than what's typically allowed in that district.
1: Perfect. And I appreciate you defining variance because I realized I used it in the last episode and didn't define it. So... Please tell us your really
0: good story. So, like all the good stories I have, the first thing you have to write <laughs> is the chapter title. Um, this one's my Amish yacht club. Um, I I'm pretty sure this was within the first six months of me coming into my role. Um, you know, very early on, I got a call from somebody um, talking about a safety concern on the river in our community um he said that there was this essentially a marina um where people were storing their boats um and then they would travel upriver just a little bit to the lake and go out for a day of fishing um you know you think maybe five ten boats something small this marina really had 40 boats there Um, (laughs) and there are all the boat slips were rented by um, Amish families and so the Amish are very big in our community Um, you know they adhere to different sets of rules in their religious practices and their families but they still follow the the law of the land when it comes to local practices and and customs Um, so it just it turned out to be one of those kind of things that everything came together into being able to call it the Amish Yacht Club um, because we had 40 boat slips rented out to different Amish families that they would use it on the weekends, come up, go to the lake, um, and enjoy themselves. And, and there's a kind of a common saying that, um, you know, you're only Amish except when you're at the lake. Um, you're pretty English, which is what kind of they – the flip of Amish would be is someone that's English, um, at the lake.
1: Are the boats motorized?
0: With very small engines. Um, so most of them are just very crappy pontoons. (laughs) Um, they they see, and that's why I say that, you know, no one's Amish at the lake. Um, <laughs> they've got cabins up there and things, and um, they'll use certain... Pieces of modern technology, um, the rules—you know—depending on where you are um, in the country, the the way that the Amish adhere to their way of life is a little bit different, um, and their practices with the rules um, that their bishop, which is their church pastor, puts on them. Um, so in our region, it's very common for them to be allowed to use electronics for things like work, um, to have a generator out, and their yard um in order to have well water be pumped up um or to run the equipment in their shop um so that's pretty common uh you know they they're allowed to have drivers that take them to different places when it's impractical hmm. um to take a horse and buggy someplace um in fact in the couple of years I've been working for the community we've really only had a horse and buggy show up once um hmm. because it, it's about a Ten mile, fifteen mile trek, depending on where they're from, in the county, um, to be able to get to our office. Hmm. So no one's in, or no one's Amish at the lake. Um, so yeah, there are small boat uh, motors on their boats. Um, you got forty additional boats coming up onto the lake, and so somebody originally called about a safety concern, and my. Thing was, okay, I'm just gonna go look. You know, I, I don't know what's going on here, don't know what's happening. Um, I went up to the property though and noticed, you know, the, the large number of boat slips, um, and the parcel was zoned for general agriculture. Um, so that means that generally the uses allowed are those for a homestead where you live or for the production of crops or the raising of livestock. Um, really kind of that narrow bandwidth of um, land uses allowed. So a marina um, is not one of those uses. Um, and so it doesn't fit into that, that category. Um, so I initiated procedures to send a notice of violation of the rules saying, hey, this isn't a permitted use. Um, let's have a meeting to discuss what you can do to either stop this use or in order to um, apply for a variance or some other permission in order to to continue this. And at first, you know, the landowner was very um, interested in resolving it and he wanted to work with us on it. Um, and it really turned out that he had very good reason to um, because he was making about 500 bucks per boat slip per year. Um, So for 40 boats, 500 bucks, and really all he's doing is letting them uh, put their boat in. It's pretty nice.
1: Yeah. So was he a non-Amish person who owned the land?
0: Correct. He's uh, what we would call English. English. So, yeah, he was not Amish.
1: And he had built all the slips and then rented them out.
0: I wouldn't call them built so much <laughs> as uh, r- loosely constructed. Okay. Um, I- I'm pretty sure the Amish that came up there put in their own little mini piers. Okay. You know, they're, they're ten, sec- 10 foot sections of piers um, some looked more like pallets, some a little bit nicer, um, but still pretty bad shape. Okay. Um, so it kind of, I think it started as a side hustle and became kind of a, a nice revenue stream. Um, so he applied for a variance in order to allow this, and we did... What we do, we provide notice to the neighbors in the area. We post a notice on our community's um, website. We post a notice in the newspaper. We provide them with a sign to put out at the end of the property um, so that people driving by know that something's going on. Um, and we kind of continue forward. And at one point... Um, he decided it would be beneficial for him to hire an attorney. Um, and then all of a sudden, the Lake Association contacted me, wanted a meeting, and um, they were not happy. Oh. Um, they had a lot of issues uh, the way that the lake was being used. And so um, just really started to navigate kind of a, a, a peace deal. Um, to find a better resolution for this to kind of, you know, to have everyone even killed. Um, And so they also hired an attorney and those attorneys started talking back and forth and it became pretty clear that a use variance wasn't going to go through um, mainly because in the, the state law you have to provide um an unnecessary hardship so what is so special about what's going on here that means like no other use is going to be beneficial to the property that was pretty hard to do because there was actual farmland that was able to be tilled um really the the only thing was that it was up against the river um and they knew he kind of recognized the landowner and his attorney recognized that, um, the Lake Association would fight anything that happened. And so I am at my allergist office the day of the meeting, um, at like three o'clock in the afternoon. And my, my assistant calls me all frantic about it, um, and so I had to return all these calls to different attorneys, and basically they wanted to strike a deal to continue the application. They do not want to go forward with that meeting that night um, and work out something for the long term. So what they, we ended up working out was an agreement that, you know, at the end of the year, all the boats had to be removed. Um, there couldn't be any further use of this property as a marina. So kind of resolved it that way. It took a little time, got some people upset um, on both sides because there are a lot of different things that we had to take into account when we were starting to look at it um mainly things like peer rights you know what rights do you have to access the water people that own property on lakes like to restrict others from being able to access that lake but lakes are water of the state it is the public's right to be in that water and so the the lake itself is owned by the state um And then on the river, the water is owned by the state, but the riverbed is owned by individuals. Hmm. And so it was really kind of this weird conundrum where I had to learn all these things about water rights all of a sudden. Um, The Department of Natural Resources in our state has specific rules on when and when you don't need a permit in order to put in a pier. And so if the peers had all been tied together as one giant peer that needs a permit, but if they're smaller peers, then they don't. And so as a, the planner, you start learning all these different things and layering on all these different rules that uh, you have to take into account um, and really figure out what's going on.
1: Mm. Yeah. And it sounds like they treated you like a mediator in this situation. Right. It was
0: certainly because I, I had people coming in and talking to me on on both sides of the issue quite a lot. Um, the Lake Association, you know, they can be pretty vicious um, about different things happening. Um, they're typically pretty guilty of NIMBYism, so not in my backyard. Um, they don't want anything else going on. Um, but it's hard for me to really be truly sympathetic or empathetic to that because at some point this was all natural um at some point nothing was here and so at some point you and your presence disturbed the other so how do we draw those lines is a difficult balancing question um one that there is no good answer to i just love that story because it's an amish yacht club you know um the is it, I think it's a Florida Georgia line song The Redneck Yacht Club No, I'm going to be wrong about that I'm going to look that up Because <laughs> I don't want to be wrong About um, my country heritage No No, then, it's Craig Morgan I am so wrong Oh Wow
1: You corrected your own self So then we don't have to do a Corrections Corner on a future episode Yeah, well
0: my parents be disappointed. I don't know my country music that well, I guess.
1: <laughs>
0: but, yeah, the, the Redneck Yacht Club, they all get together. We'll go up to the lake um, and enjoy themselves. And, you know, I think it's a fine thing to do. I, I, I'm I, not sure to this day if there was necessarily an issue with that. Um, sometimes it is about process, giving people the opportunity to have their concerns heard. Um, and provide for an avenue to maybe resolve those concerns or to say those aren't really in our wheelhouse um, they may not be completely valid or you know that's somebody's property right that's something that we do in a lot of instances is saying well you can't really restrict somebody from having unrelated family members living in a property um you know people will try to do that but it's really none of our business right um that's more often than not my line these days is not really my business.
1: <laughs> well, in this case, you were so heavily involved in mediating this situation. Do you think that in the end, it was actually easier for you than if like they had went to court against each other or something?
0: Certainly. Um and since the the board of zoning appeals the the variance hearing body didn't have to really deal with it, um, it turned out much better that way for them. Um, because when I don't know a year and a half or two years later something um, else happened on that lake chain, or they needed planning approval um, from the plan commission instead. Um, it became very contentious. Um, it was something that they were ultimately allowed to do. Um, you know, they, it complied with the rules. So a lot of that was just my board um, saying, "Hey, we have to be fair to everyone." And quite frankly, some people are just very anti-Amish, yeah. um, and it's unfortunate. It's something that you have to be cognizant of. Um, is are, am I allowing any personal feelings or allowing anyone in the room to ex- to express their own personal feelings in a way that's not constructive or that's not valid? You know, just because people like to fish and they may all adhere to the same religion doesn't mean that they're less entitled to enjoy the benefits of our Great Lakes.
1: Yeah, it's very well put. And when you need to do any sort of public notice, are there special things that you have to do or can you just mail them or put it in the newspaper like any other thing? Or do you do any sort of special outreach to make sure that they get
0: notice? So in general, it's just the general newspaper. Um, There are some actual kind of Amish publications and that's how I got some more evidence into it was that, um, the Englishman that had was renting out these boat slips had put an advertisement in the Amish paper. Um, and that Amish paper is all in German though. Um, you know, the the tongue that they speak at home. And so it was kind of interesting. Um, Pennsylvania Dutch. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's kind of different. Um, but, In one instance where we did adjust our approach to it was with our comprehensive plan process um, was that largely web surveys have kind of taken over. Mm -hmm. um, But I felt it was important to figure out a way to reach out to the Amish. Um, And and it's not necessarily something that most Amish are going to get involved with. Um, The less they deal with the government, they're pretty happy. (laughs) So what we did instead, though, was we took the same exact survey, put it on paper form, and I used our database roster of community residents um, to pick out German names that are typically associated with the Amish. So things like Bontrager, Hochstetler, Miller. Taking out those names and then grabbing uh, a number of them or a, a percentage of that that roster and mailing them a full survey and then a prepaid envelope to send it back to us.
1: Cool. As a way
0: to encourage that feedback.
1: That's very cool.
0: Yeah, and we actually we actually had a better response rate that from that. Um, yeah. You know, <laughs> It was, it was actually quite a good response rate. It didn't take that much time for us to put it in the web survey yeah. um, to get the results the same. So I still got all those in a drawer on my desk somewhere.
1: So you manually entered the Amish responses into the survey so you could compile the results? Yep. That is so cool. Yeah. I don't know if I know another planner who has the same situation as you, so it's a it's a unique in very interesting
0: situation. It, it really is. Um, you know, in, in one of the communities in our county, um, their city is actually a majority minority. Mm-hmm. Um, so the majority of the residents are Hispanic descent mm-hmm. or Hispanic. Um, and so, and they're also very close to the Amish Center population. Mm. So it comes with a very different dynamic. Um, than even what it was 15, 20, or 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's it's quite a unique place to be.
1: It sounds like it. It sounds like it would be different every day and endlessly fascinating.
0: Yeah. Well, and the Amish um, are quite the entrepreneurs. You know, they all have side hustles. You know, when you don't have TV and Google Hangouts and Netflix, podcasts, um, and podcasts (laughs) to listen to when you're on your commute to work, um, you find time um, and you have time to do other things. So there are a lot of businesses that they run out of their homes. Um, that can be different and, and require a different set of really thinking um, for us to be able to grant permissions for and, and to allow. and
1: I think it's a really interesting case study in how diversity in rural America is changing and very quickly. And normally when we talk about that, we are talking about um, Hispanic folks. But in this case, you have a whole other really interesting and unique culture thrown into that diversity how big of a percentage of your do you know off the top of your head your county's population
0: it's only really around maybe eight to twelve percent That's still um, sizable but when you get into that northwest area in our community it's a lot more dense there um, and, and we've noticed a trend where they're kind of moving further south and further east, mm-hmm. kind of having, you know, because they have a lot of kids. Um, and so, and they work very hard. So they'll come home, have their side hustle. Mm-hmm. So they've got more cash than what they know what to do with. Um, so they're able to kind of drive up the price of land that way.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a fluence you don't really expect, but I've you're not the first person who's said that.
0: Yeah, so... I mean, we're... The population growth that we're going to experience is going to come from immigration and Amish expansion. Oh. Um, You know, really, as... As the rest of the country fails to repopulate themselves, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the replacement rate is becoming a lot harder to fulfill just a, a sustainable um, population. If you're looking for growth, it's going to be in those areas. Mm-hmm. Which... I don't necessarily care less about. Um, I'm not one of those people that's addicted to growth. We don't need to be the biggest community. You know, we don't need to have the most people living in our community. Um, What we're, our goal is to make the lives of our community members better um, and to allow them to increase their own wealth um, instead of just introducing new people. So um, what will be, will be.
1: It's a nice more realistic and sustainable way to think about it because so many of us live in cities where the leadership is in complete denial of their city's situation and they want to pretend that expansion is the only possibility and there are very few places where you can talk about shrinking cities.
0: <laughs> right.
1: Where that's where it's applicable and you can actually talk about it, those places are few and far between. Right. And where people
0: understand that things aren't necessarily going to, um, you know, you're not going to land a giant Toyota or a GM factory. Um, you know, the the economic development that you're going to have is going to come from your own community members. And it's better when that happens because they keep their wealth there. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't send their wealth off to their shareholders to to buy things with. They mm-hmm. reinvest in the local community. Um, They become sponsors of the baseball team and the Little League and things of that nature. And so that's why I would recommend everyone read the book, uh, Strong Towns. Um, Oh, yeah. The new book by Chuck Marone on the subject really provides a better perspective as to the way that we used to grow, the way that we did grow kind of in the the late uh, 20th century um, and what it's going to take to fix it.
1: Well, before we go, is there any other nuggets of wisdom or information you'd like to share?
0: The top line in the the planner's code of ethics is to advance the public interest. Mm -hmm. And then the second line is that we owe an allegiance to the formulation of the public interest through open and continuous dialogue. So you can't assume that you know the public interest. You have to continue to seek it out. So that's why I enjoy so much about being a planner.
1: Yeah, and I think just by the story you've just told us, you're epitomized, you epitomized those first two in this particular Amish Yacht Club situation. Well, thank you for taking the time to talk to me tonight. I really appreciate it. This has been extremely interesting, and I hope I can have you back in the future.
0: My pleasure. Now you're welcome. It's great to be able to talk about those things.
1: And thank you one more time to Kevin for joining me on this episode. I'll be back next week with another episode. And if you would like to be on a future episode or just suggest something for a future episode, maybe have a question that you'd like answered in a Hello City Help episode, please feel free to email me at hellocitypodcast at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at Hello City Pod and YouTube and Instagram at Hello City Podcast. Links to all of our episodes are at HelloCityPodcast.com, including the YouTube episodes, which contain the beeped versions of each episode where that's applicable. And a link to our Patreon is also there. If you'd like to help out the podcast in a non monetary way, Really, truly, the best way to do it is just to subscribe and give a five-star review. I listen to so many different podcasts. There's like 10 I listen to regularly, and they always say something like that. But until I became a podcaster, I didn't understand how important that is for helping spread the word about different podcasts. So that really is the best way you can help me right now. So I look forward to speaking with you again next week. And remember, make no small plans. Have a great day.